Welcome to Beyond the Code, the podcast where industry experts and brilliant legal minds discuss the impact of new emerging technologies. I'm your host, Yitzi Hammer, a lawyer and tech enthusiast. Join us as we explore the legal, regulatory, and ethical issues surrounding AI, blockchain, and more. Get ready to go beyond the code and stay ahead of the game. Welcome back to another exciting episode of Beyond the Code. I'm your host, Yitzi Hammer, and today we have a very special guest joining us. He's an entrepreneur, investor, and a true thought leader in the legal tech industry. I'm thrilled to welcome Zach Abramowitz, founder and CEO of Killer Whale Strategies. Zach, really excited to have you here with me on the podcast. Got a lot of things to talk about today. We're going to do a little schmoozing, a little jamming. For those of you who don't know, Zach dropped a really cool music video on his YouTube channel. I'm going to drop a link in the show notes, but if you could just give a little promo to anybody who's not going to listen. Oh, you say you want to sing. <laughs> oh, I'm trying to, think, I'm trying to think, I'm think of the best part. You say the price of my hour is not a price that you're willing to pay. You cry in your e-billing system as you see my bills come by. <laughs> Why so sad? Remember we signed an engagement at my new rates. Now you're making me mad. You'll be back soon. You'll see. You'll... Um, what, 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 why am I blinking? You'll be back. Soon you'll see. Um, you'll be subpoenaed by the SEC. <laughs> you'll be back without fail. I will keep your board from going to jail. Discounts rise. Law firms fall. We've expense accounted through it all. But when push comes to shove, I will bill you for my junior associates <laughs> to remind you of my love. La, 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 la. La, 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 I love it. I love it. Brilliant, brilliant, super creative, entertaining. So let me ask you, let me ask you a question, though, because like you're you focused on crypto. I think the sort of perception in the market is that crypto's dead web3 is dead these are failed projects and i see you shaking your head and and i was i was suspecting that that's not the case like so like you know i'm i i don't i'm not a um a bitcoin maximalist but i do only ha- hold like bitcoin right now so like i do the, i i monitor the market but i i obviously you know in in the craze of 2021 was obviously paying quite a bit of attention was not able to wrap my mind around all of it but I suspect that you know there's a lot of times where you see certain um, trends have a winter, but then a, a resurgence. So right now, what's your take on the crypto market? Because you obviously don't think it's you know or is is crypto dead? Is Web three dead? Um, so I I definitely don't think Web three is dead. I don't think crypto is dead either. Um, I've always I've always said like I'm very bullish on the technology. I think. Um, both NFTs and crypto are going to be a big part of the future, both for financial markets and outside of financial markets. I think, um, I think NFT technology is a great use case, something that we're going to see in the ticketing industry, something that I think we're going to see um, service providers adopting more closely. But this, is, this wasn't supposed to be you interviewing me. I was supposed to be me interviewing you. I know I'm just I'm so I'll tell you why I'm interested, right? Because like I and this can be a sort of segue into the AI topic. I, I've been seeing a bunch of I'm actually seeing less of them now, but when Chat GPT first launched, I was seeing a lot of tweets that went something like this. Chat GPT is just the newest like crypto web three or blockchain. And so my first reaction to that is no, it's not. I can I can give you very specific differences between AI and, and between the aforementioned ind- industries, but also it's like kind of a weird dunk to talk about like blockchain is or, and cryptocurrency as if it hasn't had an impact. It's like the the like last I checked, one single Bitcoin today is worth twenty four thousand dollars. Even if it was at sixteen thousand or ten thousand, for that matter, it's 
like created out of nowhere, right? Like that's still like it, this is not ex- like exactly a dead industry. Not only that, I think that a lot of the decisions that the government has have to like make about, in the past like, week monetary policy about monetary policy, they have to be careful that there are certain moves I think the Fed might have made if not for the existence of Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. Meaning there's now this other sort of like silent hand that judges them. Um, so and it sort of polices their moves. So to pretend as if these industries are dead and like somehow insult AI by comparing them, I think like really misses the mark. Um, I think AI is huge. I think these are probably very big as well. I think it's equally insulting for both parties. I mean, AI in itself is tremendous, and so is crypto. And I think that there are, you know, uh, overlaps between the two, but I don't think that there's really any direct correlation between one and the other. But yeah, there's like a great meme going around. You know, it's like um, Homer Simpson, like in the in the bushes, like coming in, coming out. So it's like crypto expert and then like going back in, metaverse expert going back in, like (laughs) AI, like all these people that are like emerging as experts in like these various different... uh, (laughs) But I I think this is a great segue into AI because since ChatGPT has come on the scene, people keep asking, particularly lawyers, you know, are are asking initially, is ChatGPT going to replace me? And I gave it a, a little bit of thought at the beginning and and my answer now to people is chat gpt is not going to replace you but lawyers and other service providers who embrace chat gpt as a tool that they can integrate into their day-to-day are going to replace you because i think that people who shun certain technologies okay i was like a anti I'm I'm a, I'm a I'm a bit of a privacy freak um, in my personal life, um, which is funny because I'm a privacy lawyer. But I I don't so I advocate for privacy and I don't want to you know share my own private details with other people. So for you know like five six years I didn't have Facebook or Instagram, or. Um, well, that's or, five or six years of your life <laughs> yeah and then when i started a business i was like okay well you know I, I need to i need to be out there i need to be present but um there was definitely a price to um not being on the there, there were benefits in the sense that you know probably my mental health is better but there were also downsides in the sense that like i missed tons of things that were going on i didn't know about people's birthdays and i didn't you know see my friends kids who i never you know who lived in other countries and i never got a chance to see them in person and i wasn't seeing them grow up on facebook either so every there's there's a trade-off to everything here and i'm sure that some of these technologies all of these technologies come with pros and cons and you know we may shun them because of the cons but we're going to miss out on pros and that's a balancing act that we're going to have to do on a case-by-case basis and i think that this one is one that we don't want to miss out on i think that anybody who's um creating content not only as a creator but also you know as a service provider such as lawyers um you know who write a lot be it emails or briefs or or documents are 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 going to have to embrace these technologies as fully and completely as possible because otherwise they're going to they're going to miss out and they're going to be way 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 behind so i you, you, you remind me of the uh, i've seen this, this in the form of a of a tweet probably a meme at this point that law, like ai won't replace lawyers but lawyers using ai will replace those who don't so I I, re- I I recently tweeted, lawyers who are using AI won't replace you. AI that's using lawyers will. Also true. We, we, we may be like ready to submit to our robot overlords. And, and by the way, I'm, I'm truly, <laughs> you don't get this from my Twitter feed because my Twitter feed is usually like um, very... I'm say I would say that like I come across both any content that I create is like very very bullish about this version of AI, right? I, de- de- I definitely like come that way, but I think what people don't realize is how genuinely concerned I am about a lot of the issues surrounding AI. But let's before we get into the the sort of the issues, yeah, I think this AI is hugely um, different than what came before it. I actually think that before lawyers will get replaced by AI, a lot of legal technology will get replaced by AI. So most of the technology that has been created up until today did not presume that the, or did not assume that the 
um, that the technology would be able to read and understand text. And like, so you, when you not, say legal technology, what are you referring to? Like, what like type of products in particular? All the, all the e-discovery technology. So, like, you know, anytime someone in, in, in especially in America, big lawsuit, you get the right to say, "Hey, listen, I, I want, you know, we believe that your board knowingly committed fraud. We want all communications of the board, you know, uh, within the from the following dates, right?" And you'll get back tons and tons of sort of inside corporate communications that you've got to go through. And there's a whole process to get that information collected and then preserved and then put into a review platform so that the lawyers can review it. What what if all of a sudden you can just tell an AI, ask that exact same question, right? So the example I love to give recently is you've got Sam Bankman Freed and all of FTX's corporate communications. You can tell an AI, did Sam Bankman Freed knowingly commit fraud? And I think we are basically at, at the place right now where there are technologies available that can go through all of that corporate communication, give you an answer to the question, and provide citations to the relevant corporate communications, whether they're emails or Slack messages or whatever it is. So that means that that technology, yes, it's, it's, it's replacing some attorneys who would review those emails, but first what it's going to do is replace a lot of the technology that people have been spending millions of dollars on in order to do these tasks. And the reason that's the case is that those technologies never assumed that it was possible to read and understand text at like at scale. So you've got a base, you know, like your your it's it's based like it's fancy search, right? It's searching for words. It's saying, oh, this email might be similar to the one you reviewed because some of the same words within the same number of uh, of words appeared. It's like Boolean search. But these right, technologies but I, that I we're think seeing that the right issue now, is going to be um, yeah. whether, I mean, it's not going to be whether, it's going to be to what extent there was bias that was code in, coded into the technology because it may have, you know, found an answer and cited various um, various sources within the materials stating why Sam Bankman-Fried is a fraudster, but have knowingly ignored other sources that could have balanced that out because it was biased towards putting Sam behind bars. All right. So let's say that it, it gives you right now an answer, but not necessarily a complete answer. So lawyers can still always say, hey, okay, listen, this is our sort of, this is the first look. The first look is like, this is the narrative that seems to come out of, of these emails. Do we think it's worth it for humans to go in and go through this entire process? You, you'll, uh, you'll have we, to, at some point you'll have to, because this won't be something that a, a judge, for example, will be able to rely on. It will be something that either counsel could rely on. So one counsel, counselors are any, anyways, they're biased. So you could build in the bias into the tech to say like, I want to find, uh, sources that will prove that Sam's a fraudster. And on the other side, you'll say, I want to find sources that will prove that he's not a fraudster. And then both sides will have used their AI to come with their... This um, is not very different from how it works today. You know, when <laughs> just, it, comes, it will when, save when it comes to this, millions and millions of billable hours. That, but they'll, they'll build them anyways. They just, so, they're just not going to... Uh, so, that's, so that's an interesting question, right? Like, you know, because we talked about, like, will AI replace lawyers? You know... <laughs> maybe but on the other you know i know that there's already conversations within like the open ai um mafia about universal basic income and that in fact that's going to be necessary i almost wonder if that's like some semi-marxist wishful thinking because every other time in history where we've had major advances it, it created the opposite effect it grew the economy Greater efficiency and greater productivity led to more. So just as an example, right, like how many lawyers are there that still, you know, ex like have to like practice their penmanship? Like once upon a time, a lawyer had to be able to write clearly and legibly. And that was an actual skill that a lawyer had to have. Like no one does that anymore. Did it, did, did the, did the arrival of the typewriter, like, you know, can, did, did it replace lawyers? It was ridiculous. 
there's this law student from Somalia, okay, um, who over the last year and a half has written to me on several occasions asking me to give him an internship in my at my firm, okay? And every every time he writes me these really, I could tell that he labored intensely at writing me these messages on LinkedIn saying what he's doing now and why he's passionate about blockchain technology, et cetera, et cetera. Yesterday, he sent me a, another message, okay? It's been about four or five months since I've heard from him. And this time, I was really impressed by how more articulate he's been over the last four months. And then I was like, this is a clear <laughs> chat GPT output right here. Like I, I was able to identify it right away. So... Uh, amazing, you, right? You, uh, amazing. <laughs> I mean, amazing how he was able to use it, but also amazing how I was able to identify it already you at this see, point. That, that's that's something that would get me excited, right? Because what what I think could happen here is that we democratize certain processes or services that you assumed had to be done by someone with a Harvard law degree. Why is that the case? Like, why 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 do why do we only want a situation where? People who got brought up, they were just lucky. They were born speaking English and living in a, in a home where English is the mother tongue, right? Like this person from Somalia, I would love it if they can, if they can do this work and if there's now a solution for them to be able to do it. I, I used to say the LSAT like had a major bias. Well, well can people. he do it? What, yeah. Or was it just the AI? Like, in other words, like to what degree was his input behind it you know, did it require any um, any brains at all? I mean, he just said, "Draft me a cover letter to a lawyer asking to intern at his firm." So, like, wh- what value does he give me? At, wh- what more value does he bring me as an intern now that he's able to feed that input into the AI? None, really. Well, I would just just for the fun of it, I would argue if I was playing devil's advocate. That the very fact that, that he knows how to use the, no the very those fact tools. that he was willing to put his ego aside and say hey the computer can do this better than me like I'm gonna try like why not like I think there's so many people right now who are avoiding using these tools despite the fact that like it can very often do their work better I had this instance recently where I was creating um, some marketing materials for a, a new service provided by one of my clients. And I had sort of put together my own version, but then I decided, let me just take all of the legacy information they've got, put it together, show it to ChatGPT and say, ChatGPT, I want to create a sort of unified one pager. Here are all of the legacy materials that I want to use, that I want to like be part of this. And <laughs> ChatGPT's version was so much better than mine. And I, and I realized why, because chat GPT, there were certain things like I was looking at, I'm like, this, the way they describe it here is not exactly consistent with the way they describe it here. And as a human, I had to kind of like focus on that. And how could I, how could I reconcile these two things? And I spent just a lot of time staring at the screen until it kind of hit me. But chat GPT doesn't need that. It was able to look at these things and very, very quickly reconcile the differences and, and create something that was unified so who's who's smarter like m- me for trying to do it on my own or someone who realized no listen th- I, this is something that like you can now like give to ai i think a lot of people like I, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm impressed with, with anyone who's like out using it trying to figure it out right now i i kind of i kind of hear that yeah did you get a premium subscription i sure did yeah i so sure did, did. <laughs> That was that was very. I mean, it easy. just got the free edition just got so bad. Also, that like I feel like it was inevitable at this point. A hundred percent. But I also feel like you know, there's if I'm going to be like writing about the same way you were talking about before, like you're in the world of crypto, right? Because you are a you know to a certain extent a crypto attorney. Like I am very much writing about AI. Like so, whether I was bullish or bearish or suspicious or, or reckless, I kind of have, have to practice to be what like you preach in it. Yeah. Okay, so I want to ask you a question that you know might come off a little bit as offensive. Do it. Um, but uh, okay, so just like going back, 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 I met you like four or five years ago. At the time, you know, I was really excited about legal technology. I think it was at a period where I had just um, I took the bar, I failed the bar. And then there was like 10 months um, in between where I was working as like a paralegal and also studying for the bar again. And I was kind of like faced with this like 
identity crisis like what if i fail again what will i do with like this passion for law and this you know and a law degree and a year internship that i've accumulated i need to do something within like the legal world so then i was kind of looking at legal tech and it was very exciting for me then i passed the bar and i started working as a as a young associate and i was still really passionate about like because i was working with tech companies like i wanted to be still want to be an entrepreneur myself so i was like okay like legal tech is is the way forward and i went to like a a legal tech uh hackathon and i started like building two products together with a a friend who's also a lawyer and then i met you and i was like super excited and we had coffee and we're talking about all these things and then I went to this um, to this hackathon and presented this product, and I heard about some of the, heard some of the other products that were being pitched. And then I was just like, "This industry sucks." Like, it totally, uh, it, it sucks for for several reasons. Like, it, number one, the market. Number one, nobody wants it. Okay, like no lawyers want something that's going to make their job easier or done better or going to replace them in any sense so it's shunned by the very people that either need to work with it or work against it and number two customers don't really want it either because they're not they're never going to reach a full level of trust that they have in somebody who they don't know anything about but who has a degree on the wall technology doesn't provide any cya a human is cya Absolutely, but beyond the for beyond the human factor, even if you develop a product that is going that you could market an amazing product that will completely you know make every every lawyer's job easier, how could you price it in such a way that you're already very very small market of clientele you know like large law firms, small law firm, whatever it be how how is it going to be worthwhile from a market perspective so my question to you as somebody who's you know developed this uh consultancy practice uh, killer whale uh, strategies which advises law firms on various uh various technologies like you tell me why legal tech doesn't suck uh, so i first of all you may be disappointed in my answer because i would say in most circumstances it does right so like <laughs> I, I pe- okay. pe- people are always surprised to hear me say that. And like, yet. And, and yet, and yet. So first of all, quick note, I don't just advise law firms. I advise law firms, major legal departments, big four AL, alternative legal service providers, and um, strategic acquirers of legal technology. So um, we, you know, we've advised public companies uh, as well. But... To your question. Take a deep breath. <laughs> to your question. Does legal technology suck? Yeah. No. Uh, why doesn't it suck? Or, or why or why doesn't like it? Like we've established that it sucks. Why doesn't it suck? Well, okay. So here here's my answer. First of all, I think you're about to see major change happening right now. We are at a, at a huge inflection point with generative AI. Because again, what lawyers mostly are doing is they are reading documents, they're analyzing those documents and spotting issues, and then they're drafting coherent documents that respond to the issues they found in the first document, right? And this kind of sounds like George Costanza. I take the the files from uh, this box and then I put them in this smaller box, right? So like, they're, they're, but there is there is some of that that really goes on. I think people like are, are very surprised, especially when they start practicing, what they're like, oh my gosh, this is what lawyers do? That, like this is really, but that that that's a huge portion of it. AI does this. It, it reads. It can issue spot. It can draft the response documents. So, this is a major inflection point, and I do think we're already seeing significant adoption. Like Alan and Overy rolled out Harvey.ai, which is the investment that OpenAI made in a company that was basically going to take. GPT model and fine tune it for legal, right? That's a big part of their strategy as a company. Harvey was introduced into Allen and Overy, according to the the news reports in November, and they've already rolled out to every single one of their attorneys globally. I'm hearing right now that's like close to like a third or 50% adoption rate within the firm, which is actually like highly, that's, that's material, right? Like 
it's significant. So we're at an inflection point. But I think that part of the reason that you're seeing adoption now is because over the last maybe five to seven years, there have been a slew of technologies in the wake of you know Amazon Web Services making it much easier to build cloud-based software and making it you know less uh, capital intensive. There's already been a number of really good products that have been marketed into law firms. Now, yes, there's sometimes is a very significant question around like, do the lawyers actually want this? Is it in their incentives? And I, I say this all the time to, to legal technology companies. If, if you've built a product that is going to increase the efficiency of law firm attorneys by like, you know, 15 to 20%, they're probably not going to be very interested. Number one, it's not really interesting to them. It doesn't show them how that's going to help their bottom line. There's no client that's forcing them to use the product. To, to yeah. learn how to use your new product is already like anxiety producing for them and their staff. They think that you're probably going to get acquired within a couple of years and your your technology will be rolled up into some other product that they don't want to use. It's actually a fairly rational decision. They don't want to use it, right? So for I, I think a lot of products were built on the back of like, hey, this is going to, again, uh, in, increase efficiency and and, 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 you know, it's a smarter way to work. That's just not a very good sale into those law firms. And I think a lot of companies have been smarter in how they built their products to deal with those issues. So I'll give you three examples. One is a company I invested in called LegalMation, right? And again, I like, like you said before, I, I think it's very important to have skin in the game in in what I'm doing, you know, with, within legal. So I actually invest in companies. I don't have like reseller relationships where I'm selling on behalf of companies making commissions. If I think a company is great, I'm going to put my own money out of my own pockets. I don't have like a dedicated fund for this. I, I invest. We sometimes, and I'll tell you about this in a second, we sometimes will syndicate investments with other industry insiders from legal. But like at, at our core, I always like to invest with my own money out of my own pockets because that's the most sobering, right? That's that's where I have to really believe in the company. So the first company I invested in is a company called LegalMation. They don't just um, improve you, you know, your efficiency by like 15 to 20%. There it's like tasks that would have taken you 10 hours can be done in one minute, right? Wow. What they What they do is they automate all of the early filings in a litigation. So you get sued, you're handed a complaint. Once upon a time, you give that complaint to a law firm attorney. They would spend maybe 10 to 15 hours responding to that complaint, as well as producing two separate documents called interrogatories and RFPs that are part of like, you know, the, the beginning of discovery. Now, in order, like once you have those documents, how, how do you respond? There's kind of like a ping pong match that goes on between the two sides. LegalMation's a, a technology knows how to literally automate all of that, especially in high volume sort of repetitive type litigations. So they, so now not only is the experience totally transformative because you're going from like 15 hours of attorney time to like one minute of AI time, but they still had trouble selling that to law firms at first. So what they did was they bypassed the law firms. They went directly to major corporations, insurance companies, auto manufacturers, um, who had very high volume litigation. And they could say, listen, we can cut down on your litigation costs and you don't have to fire anyone internally. Instead of giving this work to expensive outside counsel, you're going to, this work is going to essentially be completed by the AI. Right. So that's a great example of how technology, if it's transformative enough, there is a party for it. It just may not be specifically at a law firm. For what it's worth now, LegalMation does sell a lot to law firms, but their their first big wins were with insurance companies, very publicly with Walmart. So they were going direct to the buyer of the legal services. The second example, because I mentioned before that a lot of attorneys don't want to learn to use new tech is term scout so a company they're also a company i invested in and uh, uh gigi levy um his fund nfx also invested alongside us as did 
uh, David Stark from Ground Up Capital. So, or Ground Up VC, excuse me. So they, um, what what Term Scout does is they've got a badge, and the badge is like a, it's this digital badge that shows up on your on your you know public contract. So if you're like a, a major cloud provider, IBM, Amazon, and companies are coming to sign cloud service agreements with you, if you go to IBM's contract today, it's certified customer favorable by term scale. by term scale. very cool and you can click on that badge to go to a sort of site where it compares and shows you like here's what's an amazon's contract and this is why ibm is more favorable so that badge is incredible because no one has to use it right you're not teaching any lawyers how to use some new interface in order to negotiate agreements but those lawyers can simply if anyone tries to negotiate or want to like redline they can say listen Look, a third party has certified certified our agreement as the most customer favorable. We don't need to do this whole dance, this whole redlining business. And it, it's been I, I I spoke to. Customers. I'm curious how do they how do they like uh, create consumer awareness like to their to their badge? Like me as a consumer who's signing one of these like plug and play uh, IBM contracts. Like how will I identify Term Scout's badge as something that's even you know. Like, how does it become an industry standard? So, uh, listen, that's that's the literally billion-dollar question, right? First of all, they are the only ones doing this. I'm not aware of any other company that that jumped and and, and took this angle. I, I've never heard of them. How how long have they been been Term around? Termscout.com. So we they, they announced funding around um, this time last year, and they are now being used by IBM, Snowflake, um, uh, Datadog, you, some of the biggest SaaS companies. You know, in the world, cool. are using this product, and for the time being, like, how are they going to build a brand? I, I think you know the same. What like by, number one by showing you here are the companies that are using us that are taking us seriously. Number two, what they've been able to show to the customers is that your negotiation time on contracts will go down significantly, and then this is the most important part: sped up sales cycles. Right. So every like, how many companies really care that much about? Like that, that's a selling point. Right. They don't, they don't care that much about like how much do we save on our legal bill. We're like, but if it's, hey, your deal cycles are going to go from four or from six weeks to four weeks because that last part where it got stuck in legal doesn't exist anymore. That's huge. Right. So uh, I'm yeah. curious, like, uh, and, and maybe, and maybe this is like a conversation for another time. Like, did they have some kind of software where if I have terms on my site, I could drag and drop it into yeah. their software and then it will rate my contract. And then I'll say like, oh, okay, interesting. Like if I want to get Term Scouts favorable ratings, I need to do, like, will it tell me what I need to do this to This is exactly get to that? what they do. Every company that comes to them that wants to put on the badge, the first thing they have to do is sort of go through this triage process, right? right. Where they, where they, where very, they very get cool. rated. But I think the idea is that like, why in the world should people not know what's market when they're signing an agreement? Like the same way you have like ratings for restaurants and ratings for everything else in the world today that you buy, when you're signing a contract, you should be able to say like, is this a five-star contract or not? Or is this a contract with like a poor sanitation rating? So I, I use that as example because there, that's an instance where you're selling legal technology, right? But number one, no one has to learn anything new. So minimal user experience. And number two, actual real economic benefits that are not just like, oh, we were able to save a little bit on our legal bill, which is like not a good enough reason to do something new. The last company I'll give you is sort of as an example of where I think legal technology doesn't suck is a company called Darrow. Darrow is based in Israel. Have you heard of them? D-A-R-R-O-W. Darrow.ai. This is a crazy company. So what no, no, they no. do is they have, they're like all former 8,200 people plus a couple of um, old uh, Supreme Court uh, clerks. <laughs> and they say that today, when it comes to like your privacy, especially, there's companies that are stealing, that they're, they're taking your data or selling your data unlawfully or against their own terms of service. And you would just never know. There's no one out there to police it, right? If a toaster, right? Think about like the, um, you know, the, the example, the hypothetical in law school, of the, the exploding toaster, and you sustain third degree burns, right? You know you've been harmed. You felt it. But if someone steals your data, 
How would you even know, right? People didn't know. Think about like the Cambridge Analytica scandal as an example, right? No one knows. Comes along Darrow and says, we're going to police this because we can see, we can figure out, especially in terms of like combing the dark web, when data is being stolen and when your and when your rights are being violated. And what they do is they find these instances and then they go to plaintiff's firms and they say, hey, we'll sell you this case. We'll tell you about this case. You can litigate it, um, but you're going to have to pay our fee. And we're also going to take upside in the case. They have sold hundreds of these cases to like some of the most impressive plaintiff firms in, in the U.S. And what's crazy, I mean, I, I some of the I've spoken to lawyers who have taken these cases on wow. and they say the same thing every time. They're like, the case is massive. We would not have found this in a million years. Now, why do I love this as an example of legal technology not sucking? First of all, how, you, you said before, like, you know, you're a big believer in privacy. There's no one to police privacy, wow, right? Wow, wow. That's why all these companies have been using, you know, biometric cameras when you walk into a store to, like, figure you out and steal your data and, like, and and they're not allowed to do that. These are security cameras. This is, by the way, this is one of the cases that, that, uh, that um that Darrow has been able to unearth is where comp is people having their um their their uh their their data taken from these biometric cameras. But there's many, many other instances. One of the ones that they've talked about publicly, I think, is um there was a fertility app and women were putting in really sensitive data into this fertility app that had promised, you know, not to sell their data. But in fact, they were selling their data to the Chinese government. And Darrow found that case and brought it to a plaintiff's firm. So I love the message of this company. I love their mission, which yeah, like is- like Robin Hoods of sorts. Yeah, and, 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 and yeah, like, 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 like a Robin Hood, but like protecting you, right? Because no one else is willing to do it because as they say, companies aren't gonna take compliance seriously unless someone stings them first. So the good of it, I, I know there are, there are people who I've explained this company to that kind of roll their eyes. Oh, they're just making money from plaintiff's firms. I'm like, listen, I'm not uh, opposed to people making money, especially if they're ultimately like teaching companies to take privacy more seriously. I can't think of like a more important common good. The other reason I like this company is they're not trying to tell, like sell efficiency to lawyers. Like you said before, lawyers don't really care. And you can whine and cry about it all you want. You know, you know, lawyers should, you know, but they don't. But you know what lawyers do love? They love new business, especially new business that they never would have found, right? That they're willing to pay for. That's why Darrow is crushing it in a down economy because no one is ever like upset about paying to take on huge new cases. So I, I think they're a super interesting company and another good example of legal technology not sucking. Okay, so th those are three great examples. And I think what's, what's interesting about all three is that none of them, like you said, are selling to law firms. They've all kind of like circumvented what you'd see as the classic route for who the consumer is and how to sell a product. And they've found alternative ways of packaging and selling these products. So let me give you one more, and I will, three is the best, but let me give you one more that I think sort of hammers in a different point. It's a company I invested in called 10B5. 10B5 is basically an easier way to draft. That sounds like a filing. To draft, yeah, to, to draft disclosures, <laughs> right? So like they, they've been, and they have been used by many law firms, but... Here's why I invested with them, because they showed me one case study of theirs where a, comp where a firm had bought the product for the following reason. They hired a new associate, Capital Markets. The associate said, hey, um, I am I, I, in my old firm, we used this other product. Are you really going to tell me I have to go back to doing this the old way? And the firm quickly bought the product. And what I loved about that is it's true that like lawyers don't care about efficiency, but you know what they do care about is like their associates not leaving. And if there are associates who prefer to work in a certain way, like the, the, the firms want to accommodate that. The firms don't want to buy technology that they think no one is going to use. It will sit on the shelf and be useless. 
but law firms do care quite a bit about keeping their talent and investing in their talent. Um, for all the jokes that are made about, you know, law firms treating their associates poorly, they don't actually want them to leave, right? So if there's like a better way to work where the KPI is not how many dollars you save, but like, hey, are our do our attorneys like this, right? Like that's why like law firms in the past like bought expensive real estate and prime locations. It was not just to like, you know, sort of flex for their clients. It's also ultimately because they want like it was supposed to be like a a sort of rich experience being in like a, you know, top office with a beautiful downtown view like that, that. Those things are important. So I think that technology, you know, the more that we go remote, the more that like people are moving out of those buildings. I think technology is going to be like a very key part of like the user experience of a law firm. So like, you know, I think there, there is a reason, but th th those are, those are some examples. Okay. So th there might be a bit of overlap in, uh, in your answer to my next question, but when we were trying to schedule this interview, uh, we had to like cancel a few times. And on the second time I asked, I sent you another Calendly link and you're like, oh. oh no, I hate Calendly. Please don't let me use Calendly again to have to schedule with you. And like to me, Calendly is like one of the most efficient tools that I have. Um, it's something that like I hated working um, in a big firm. Like every time I wanted to schedule something with another lawyer in the firm, like even the guy in the office next to me, he'd be like, oh, call my secretary and she'll find a time uh, that's available for, for both of us. And then it'd be like six or seven emails back and forth, like especially if there was more than one party involved, trying to figure out like a time that works for people. And Calendly just like makes that so much easier with everything. You don't even have to like find the dial in details and cut and paste it it's just like amazing so you hate calendly a yeah, i would, li so, I would so, like to so, know why and b right. just give me some of like the the main tech tools that you do envision as like being you know integral for law firms to incorporate into the day-to-day -to -day today besides the ones that you already mentioned and like if they if they differ based on like the size of the firm then you know, also like what you what you'd recommend for like big so my, law firms my, and my 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 answer is every single law firm right now should be finding an LLM partner large language model right whether that's Harvey AI whether it's Case Text there's going to be others out there every single firm right now needs to have some kind of uh, of LLM partner and just using Chat GPT will help you somewhat but it's not going to be the sort of fine-tuned tool that you're going to need. Every every one of them must have this. Um, but it's not a hundred percent clear today, like which one is the best, right? Like that. This is very very new. My assumption is that there will be many more released, and I think it's important to find one and to get moving on that now because the amount of compute power is limited. So you literally could have a situation right now if you're a law firm where your competitor, your competitor, competitor firms have a technology that allows them to move much faster that you just can't get access to. That's never really been the case, right? Like once one firm had the technology, another firm could get it, right? Except that like there, as you've seen with chat GPT, when it's, when there's high use, only certain people can get it. I was actually demoing one of these new products and the company told me, hey, listen, we can give you like access, but you can only use it in the morning Israel Between time. 2.30 and okay? 3. <laughs> the, now, will this get solved over time? Yes, but not in the short term. And that matters also, right? You can't have a situation in the short term as a law firm where it's understood that companies who use you are going to have to pay much more and move much slower than your counterparts. That is a really bad look. So that that's sort of my answer on the law firm side. Um, on the let me I'll, I'll, here's what I'll say about Calendly. I understand like how it could be more efficient. The the thing that I that I can't stand is very often people like want to meet with me and then they say, "Here's my Calendly. Find time." And, like it sort of like strikes me as like, ugh. I've got to go like do a task now. And you'd say, okay, but it's so easy. You just click the, click the and link I, and I like agree. go to it. Right. Except that like when I go to the link, I have many times accepted a Calendly invite only to realize afterwards, because it doesn't, it's not able to look at my calendar. It, 
I have like booked at a time that like I've now I've double books and I have to cancel it and go back to the person. They have to reset. It, it, it's a, it, I, I consider it to not be like a great user experience. And my thing is like, I don't actually have so much difficult time uh, scheduling. What I do is when I want to schedule something, I send someone an invite and I say, Hey, I sent you an invite. Let me know if that time doesn't work. And we will, uh, we'll do the scheduling dance. At which point I will pick up the phone and call them and just on the phone, figure out a time to make that happen. It takes like 30 seconds also. Right. So it's like, I, I, again, I, I'm not like Mr. Techie when it comes to like, do, do I use a ton of different like tools? Mm. A lot of times I think like we've got like a pretty amazing technology already. And if you like have a slightly smarter process, like in my example, just like I've literally never had someone actually write back like, oh no, that time doesn't work for me. Usually if you ask though, people will look at their calendars like, well, I don't really want to do it then. There's like a whole, like there's like weird like psychologies that go into that as opposed to like, if I just send them the time and I'm like, Hey, this is two weeks in advance. What's the chance that they're blocked off during this like prime location, you know, on on the calendar? Let's just like it's 2 p.m. in the afternoon. They probably don't have a call two weeks from now. So let me just put that on their calendar and and hope for the best. And again, I always say like if that doesn't work, we can schedule. But usually like that takes too much action on someone else's part to be like, oh, no, this doesn't work, even though like it's at a spot where I've got nothing. So I, that's, that's my, but it's like a, that's like a weird, like Calendly quirk. I've been roasted on Twitter before for saying that I don't like Calendly. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, big fan of Calendly, but I totally agree with you on the, on the, on, yeah, on the etiquette. Like it's one of the things actually that like they sent the whole email. I, I, I really want to like perfect the use of the tool. So like I've changed my approach. Also the first time a client sent me like, here's my Calendly. I was like, F you, like, what, like what? I have to like go. But, but that was like my first double take. Now I feel like it's much more well received because so many people are using Calendly. And like they once sent an email out with like a little spiel that you could write, you know, like please suggest times that are a few times that are available or if more convenient for you, use my Calendly link. And then like generally I feel like that people are more so I'm just a little bit more assertive like instead of walking up to the person in the bar and saying can I buy you can I buy you a drink do you like you know gin this 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 or this I'm just like hey I'm uh, I just sent a beer over if they tell me they don't they don't Sorry, they tell I, me they I don't, don't like, like beer I find I find it a little bit like invasive it's like what you're you're scheduling on my calendar like you don't know what I'm doing <laughs> next week like it's a, listen <laughs> it, it, it's it's a it's a bold move yes all right um and is is reply all still a thing? Like I remember, I, I think uh, Avi yeah. slash Austin Feld introduced us. Like he was working with you a little uh, bit on reply all at some point. Is that still reply all? It's it's no longer a thing. We uh, the, the company used to it was making money. It just wasn't making enough money to like make me very rich. And I thought there were more interesting things going on in legal tech. And I was mm-hmm. I was burnt out on the on the project. We, we were obviously onto something. And I say all the time that like entrepreneurs will often give you the following cliche that good ideas are a dime a dozen. Everything is all about the execution. That's ridiculous. Good ideas are not a dime a dozen since having the idea for reply all, which I genuinely think is the best idea I've ever had for a kind of revolutionary company. I have not had an idea as good since now, ultimately I wasn't able to build it into a, you know, billion dollar behemoth that I thought it should be and completely changed the way that we consumed and created conversations on the internet. That's true. But it was still a great idea, which is why Clubhouse later, you know, more or less like went with the same exact product that we were building. And, and by the way, guys from Clubhouse, which I know, it, Maybe I know, they were I know it didn't ultimately <laughs> succeed, but like they were, they, they, it succeeded for a while. Yeah, but they, before yeah, they, Twitter they Spaces, were, they were definitely onto something. And look, Twitter Spaces picked it up, and, and that's really the problem. The, the the ultimate problem with this idea, with Reply All, w- again, because the difference between Reply All and, and every other social platform where you can find conversations is, we said, hey, listen, conversations are literally only interesting when certain people can talk and everyone else is the audience. Once everyone is in the conversation, that's no longer a conversation. That's a conference. That's a that's just a that's just that's just you know a, a crowded conference floor. The idea here 
was to create a way to have clear delineations between participants and audience and, and make it really, really easy for like super interesting people to have conversations with each other that could be visible by the public. And at the time, what we were pitching was essentially not Facebook or Twitter. We said, hey, listen, conversation online is broken. And we would say this to VCs and they would look at us like we were crazy. They're like, what do you mean Facebook and Twitter are broken? These are the two most successful companies of our time. They are completely, they're already changing the way the conversation exists online. And anyway, if you, even if you're right, they're just going to, you know, replicate you eventually. So I think they were wrong on, clearly not wrong on number one, right? Facebook and Twitter were not, have, I, I think have in many ways been very, very harmful from a societal perspective in terms of the types of conversations they cultivated and there should have been something better where they were probably right. However, is the minute you make something that's popular, Facebook and Twitter will just replicate it unless it's able to generate its own audience like a Reddit, right? That's a, that's sort of a good example where you could, where you, you do have alternative formats for conversation and the conversations on Reddit are not exactly like they are on Twitter and Facebook, but Reddit was able to create its own, um, its own audience. Once you're dependent on Facebook and Twitter for your audience and you are a, an alternative to Facebook and Twitter, you're already dead because the minute that you get any kind of popular, they will replicate it. And they, like in the case of Twitter spaces and clubhouse, they do have the position to put you out of business. So I think ultimately, even though it was a, a great idea, by the time we were in it, Facebook and Twitter were already too established and cemented as the as the winners in the space for anyone to really compete with them. Right. I think like one of the key instructions that people give, and we're, we're going to finish one second, one of the key instructions that people give um entrepreneurs when they're starting a company is I'm not really sure how to say this in English but you don't want to educate a market um, it doesn't yeah. work really in English but like you don't want to if you have to take in a, if you have to teach people how to how to live and act differently then it's going to be a really hard sell so finding ways it, to you have integrate. to be Steve Jobs in order to pull that off <laughs> that's the answer I mean Steve Jobs did essentially feed the the market something they didn't necessarily think they needed no one thought they needed a computer at home right i remember he was teaching you reading about his uh, what, why that should be his the biography he's like um he he did away with uh what do, you, what do they call it like working groups like they had like um like they used to have an apple these like working groups they bring people in and they would ask them like what they like he's like no 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 no, no. Like, that's not how we do it here like we will tell people what they like we don't need them to tell us yeah. what they want so yeah, but he's the outlier. Like nobody else is uh, is Completely. Steve Jobs or ever will be. Um, thank you so much, Satoshi. I was I would say Satoshi is the other one. <laughs> Satoshi. La 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 la. I love it. I love it. Brilliant, brilliant, super creative, entertaining, and I wish you many, many, many more views. Thanks, Yitzi. For more Legal Tech Alpha, make sure to follow Zach on Twitter. His handle is Zach Abramowitz, Z-A-C-H-A-B-R-A-M-O-W-I-T-Z. And make sure to check out KillerWhaleStrategies.com. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Code. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe, share with your friends, and to tune in again next week for more fun and insightful conversation.